Kafka traps, that's what we're talking about today. But first, we've all heard about the witch trials, of course, the Salem witch trials, and there were witch trials in Britain, you know, 15, 1600s. I'm still completely outraged. Honestly, I feel like it should, I feel like it's still newsworthy. I should still be, CNN should still be talking about the witch trials and what happened. I can't get over it. I still think about it, and I'm not even kidding. Every now and then, I do still think about the witch trials. And I think the thing that stands out to me the most is that thing that they did to like throw people, like to decide whether or not a witch was guilty or innocent, they would throw him or her into a lake it was called um ordeal by water dunking dunking or ordeal by water <laughs> um yeah it was an ordeal i actually looked up the word ordeal though to uh i was curious about its you know, the actual meaning of the word, there's a lot of words that we use that mean something slightly different or the, the etymology of the word. And ordeal uh, has Germanic, um, from what I found online, that it has Germanic and Old English roots. In German, um, it meant, it referred to judgment. And the Old English roots, it was... Um, <clears throat> it was funny uh, because it reminded me of gym class. What was it? Oh, the old English roots is trial by physical, a physical test, right? It, I laugh because, you know, gym class is, was an ordeal. Literally, it was an ordeal. It was a physical test. Okay, so back to ordeal by water. So the, the way this worked was there would be, they would accuse someone. Um, there's actually, uh, in 1612, there were some witch, witches um, hung at Abington Gallows in Northampton, uh, UK, and they were accused of bewitching pigs. Whatever that, like, I don't really want to know what they were doing there. But regardless, the way that it was dealt with was uh, dunking. Now, the way dunking worked, everybody knows this, right? Didn't we learn this in elementary school? But the way dunking worked, this was the reasoning. So you take an accused person and you chuck him or her into the lake. And if they, if the person uh, thrown into the lake floats... They're guilty if they, if they sink. 
into the lake, they're innocent. If they sink and drown and die, they are innocent. So this happened. I mean, this isn't, you know, this wasn't a movie. This isn't like a fairy tale. It's not like uh, something, it's, it's, it's not fiction. This happened. This is what people did. Kings, right? People who were in charge. People who uh, were responsible for the running of their little operation, whatever their kingdom there. So it's so mind blowing. And one of the things that it makes me wonder is if, you know, was this, this like can't have been serious. You know what I mean? It could not like have been seriously uh, thinking that this was how, you know, one determined whether or not, you know, the guilt or innocent of uh, guilt or innocence of someone. I, I can't help but think this was just some sort of tactic where, you know, they didn't want to risk not getting to kill this person, right? So uh, this was just to be sure, you know, they weren't going to miss anyone because, um, you know, they, they give them this test. If, if, uh, if the test kills you, then you were innocent. And presumably, if you were innocent, you should not have been killed. Am I missing something here? Uh, if, and if you survive the test, then you were guilty and they kill you anyway. So why the charade? Why go through all that? Why do they bother like throwing you know a person into the lake to begin with? Why didn't they just say, hey, everybody, I'm the king. I'm going to kill this person. You, you want to come watch and be done with it? So it seems like they at least wanted the appearance of fairness. But the witch trials are not exactly what we're talking about today. What we're talking about today is Kafka trapping. And the reason I told you this story about the witches is because, for one, I can't get over it. And number two, these witches were Kafka trapped. But what is a Kafka trap? And is it worth an entire podcast um, when I could either just say what it is or you could look it up? Um, but anyway, it's kind of interesting to talk a little bit uh, more about it. Obviously, a Kafka trap has something to do with Kafka, the German author from early 20th century. And actually, it's a reference to probably his most famous novel, The Trial. Um, I have that book. And I started to read it like twice um, and I'm going to read it. But the first time I started to read the book, it was so um, dark and I just like didn't want to live in that world. You know, I didn't want to hang out uh, with what was going on there because the book. Um, so the main character of the trial is this man named Joseph K. And the beginning of the book starts where he gets arrested, like out of nowhere. 
And it's just this very disorienting, um, dark, menacing, convoluted, senseless feeling, uh, like right from the very beginning of the book. Um, and, and the, the, those words are synonyms actually for Kafkaesque, uh, which Kafka has his own adjective. Um, so Kafkaesque, it means surreal, distorted, and there also, there almost has to be like a nightmarish desperation aspect if something is Kafkaesque. And I do strongly encourage everyone to use the word Kafkaesque. Um, and I, I think you should use it in instances where it's not exactly appropriate. Like a good example is, let's say you're at the grocery store and you can't find, I don't know, you can't find the vanilla extract and you're lost in the grocery store and you, you should describe that as Kafka-esque. This grocery store is Kafka-esque. The organization of this, gro of this grocery store is Kafka-esque. Um, not exactly right. It's hyperbole. Um, but I strongly encourage it. Um, so very cool. Kafka trapping has to do with the author Kafka. Kafka died. He died at 40 in 1925 of starvation. He died of starvation because he had uh, laryngeal tuberculosis and he couldn't eat. Um, it doesn't make sense to me, but I'm sure healthcare wasn't very good, as good back then. And I guess it was just too painful. So he starved to death. Um, he also never finished the trial. He never finished any of his books. So he sort of really lived uh, up to his reputation of just being kind of disoriented, I think, and just his whole life uh, sort of matched the themes of his books. You know, the, the trial was published after he died. So anyway, Kafka, he has an adjective, good for him. Um, the trial, one of the best German uh, novels. And one of the reasons why I think the trial is such an important book and the reason Kafka got an adjective of his very own, and the reason Kafka trapping um, is an important idea, is because the if you if you go back to the roots of it to this book, the trial, um, the themes of the book are fundamental to the human psyche. The importance of justice. I mean, it's not right to get accused for having done nothing wrong and to not know who your accuser is. And so it highlights how important justice is, the importance of justice, of personal responsibility, and the horror, which is why I couldn't 
continue reading it the first time I picked it up, the horror of being arrested for no reason by someone, by, by, and you don't know who has accused you. And to live in a system with the power and the willingness to destroy your life like that. Um, it is really a basic violation. Um, so, I mean, just imagine, you know, agents of the government come into your home. You're just hanging out. You know, you're watching YouTube. You're making a grilled cheese, whatever. You're, you're doing God knows what. And very likely nobody's business. And police officers or agents of the feds, someone shows that they, they bang on your door. I hate that. I don't like it. I don't like having, I don't like it when like, a, the, if I have something delivered, if when they knock on my door, just leave it outside. Don't bother me. I hate the sound of someone banging on my door like ever, unless I specifically know who they are and they are a, a, a dear and trusted friend. Uh, a, a government agent? No, thank you. So that sucks. And the, all of this is to say that a Kafka trap, it's bad. No, it sh they should not happen. You shouldn't trap anyone in a Kafka trap, and no one should ever trap you in a Kafka trap. But what the hell is a Kafka trap? So the most basic definition of a Kafka trap is any denial by the accused is evidence of guilt. So think about that for a minute. If you're accused of something and you deny it, and your denial is considered evidence of your guilt, you, my friend, are in a Kafka trap. Now, these days, you know, this is July 11th, 2020. These days, the, the, the word Kafka trap is going around uh, specifically related to um, the book White Fragility by D'Angelo. Can't remember her first name. And then there is the book How to Be an Anti-Racist by Kendi. Anyway, How to Be an Anti-Racist. So uh, in both of these books... They, there is the idea that um, actually Kendi in How to Be an Anti-Racist uses the phrase, and, and I've, he I've heard him uh, use the phrase that denial is the heartbeat of racism. So the idea there is an example, a very current example of a Kafka trap. And really the, 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 the source of the coining of this term um, which I'll get to, but, but was around all the isms. Like if you're accused of being racist and you deny it, then the prevailing wisdom is that your denial is further evidence that you are in fact racist. 
Once again, denial is the heartbeat of racism, according to the, this thinking. Critical race theory, um, which is, I mean, everywhere right now. So number one, don't be racist for, for, for starters and just hang right there. Like once you're, once you're not being racist, keep, keep doing that. Um, but also don't get into a Kafka trap, right? Because more, more, more generally, so that's the very like most basic straightforward definition, but more in general, like the essence of a Kafka trap is really when you have an authority which could be a person or it could be the prevailing wisdom of the time, right? And it's usually invisible, like an invisible authority um, or a system, say, that makes claims to the truth. And this authority or system makes a determination that you are guilty and then your denial of that guilt is in effect an act of insubordination to the authority right so that's it's slightly different there um in more general terms a kafka trap is, uh, the denial and a kafka trap is an act of insubordination you're not going along with the the program right and so on another level then that is can used as evidence that you're guilty right um, of course the deal with a kafka trap once you're in one is that you're there no one's interested if you're guilty or innocent i mean you're you're guilty that was determined ahead of time if it hadn't been you wouldn't be in the kafka trap right so it's more often than not, in general terms, not about something that you actually did. It's more about something that you are, right? Or, uh, or if you're a member of a group. So going back to the current example um, from white fragility, um, if, you're, if you're a member of the group of white people, right, then... It's not that you have specifically done something wrong. It's that you're a member of this group and therefore you're a racist. Your whiteness, systemically, historically, you're a colonizer. I'm not an expert on this, but that's what is going on with the Kafka trap. And whatever that invisible authority is, has decided that you are part of something wrong, right? That's the most general terms. A, a good example, I mean, God is probably the most famous invisible authority. So let's say God um, has accused you of original sin, which he has, and you deny your original sin. Then only a, an insubordinate sinner would deny that you're that you have original sin, right? So you've just proven to God um, that you are in fact a sinner. Although I don't know why God needed anything to be, why he needs anything proven to him. He 
He's supposed to know everything. But let's take a step back. It gets it gets deeper. I have to say other things that are obvious. Denial of an accusation is not evidence of your guilt. Okay, let's just keep our grip on reality. Okay, let's not ever let go of reality. Denying an accusation is not evidence of your guilt. So I went out looking for other examples, uh, lessons from history, just other examples of Kafka traps. And um, even Kafka traps in the most general uh, of terms. Um, I found an interesting, interesting story about a monk named Pelagius. If you're a theologian, you've probably heard of Pelagius. Um, I certainly had never heard of him. Most people probably have not heard of Pelagius. Most people, far more people have heard of Augustine. So this is a story about Pelagius and Augustine now. So Pelagius was a British monk in 431 A.D., uh, in, 43, in 431 AD, he was declared a heretic. Um, he had been accused, what an ugly word, right? Um, you don't want that to happen to you, probably. Although, I mean, I'm definitely the, no doubt the coolest people um, were the ones that were uh, called heretics. But he was accused by Augustine of denying original sin, and he did. He did deny original sin, right? Um, uh, Augustine believed in original sin. Augustine, Augustine believed that we were all damaged goods and that we inherited our damage magically from Adam. There are a lot of parallels with that going on today where you inherit guilt. And Augustine, this is very Christian, very religious, all of this, a religious thinking. So Augustine believed that not only were we damaged, but you, you didn't actually have to ever do anything sinful. You inherited your uh, damage, your sin from Adam, Adam of Adam and Eve, right? Um, Augustine also believed that we are dominated by strong, get this, by strong involuntary sexual arousal. We're dominated by that, according to Augustine. I mean, I can't say I entirely disagree, but he came up with this idea at the age of 19. At 19, when literally every human being is dominated by strong, involuntary sexual arousal. So you got to give it to him. I mean, he put it out there. He, you know, is, this was a confession, obviously. Um, Pelagius believed that something a little different. He, he, he believed that in, in more of personal responsibility, that he didn't, he didn't believe that you could inherit magically 
guilt or sin from someone else. We, we, had, we had the power to act and to speak and to think on our own. Pelagius thought that we could be good people without God's help. So you, knew, you know right there he is playing with fire in 430 A.D., um, but he did. He he said, we, we don't need God to be good. He very much believed in God. He wasn't going down that road. Um, but he was he had a little bit of a different take um, because he was also very strict moralist, um, which probably by today's standards, literally everyone in 430, I, who knows? I don't know if that's true. But to be a strict moralist in thir- 430 A.D., like compared to like the people in 430 AD, if you are the strict moralist, you probably are not the life of the party at all. In fact, Pelagius today probably would have been a Republican. Uh, Augustine, uh, a, a lefty, a liberal, a progressive, a Marxist. But the point here is that he questioned uh, uh, Pelagius questioned the Kafka trap of original sin. And that is that was his problem, right? That was his mistake. Um, now, some of this between Augustine and Pelagius is just like the, the, this bickering, right? Pedantic bickering that goes on between, you know, a, a privileged class of people you know, who lacked the imagination, you know, to get past their all these Stone Age beliefs. The theologians, bickering theologians is, is essentially what it was. But this argument isn't entirely settled today. I mean, we don't, it's not like a central part of like people's daily conversations, but this definitely is still happening in some corners. Um, and Augustine, I think, won the argument, um, even though the argument may not be over. But Pelagius was considered uh, an arch heretic for a thousand years. He was condemned. He was expelled from Jerusalem, for where he was at the time, and he was never heard of it from again. He was gone. Um, he was canceled. If, uh, if it's like you can imagine this all going down on Twitter, uh, where they're debating. You know, it, it is. It is happening in Twitter, like the exact equivalence. You know, people far less thoughtful people. I mean, you do have to give you know Pelagius and Augustine their due credit the credit that is to them because, you know, they did think this out very carefully. Not many people do that. And so, yeah, he got entirely canceled, Pelagius, gone, never heard of again. And Augustine didn't think that his punishment was harsh enough. But this is uh, an example, in my view, of a Kafka trap because here you have an authority that uh, made a, a declaration, and uh, it was questioned, right? That's a form of a Kafka trap. Skepticism of an accusation 
is considered guilt, right? Um, because the essence of a Kafka trap is in, is if if when you, if when you challenge an assertion, um, there there's trouble, right? So the so uh, the word Kafka trap though is way more recent than even Kafka. The, the word Kafka trap was first used in July of 2010, July 18th, right? Eric S. Raymond was, uh, first used, coined the term Kafka trap in uh, an essay with the title Kafka Trapping on his blog, Armed and Dangerous. Uh, Eric Raymond is the founder of the Open Source Initiative. He's a libertarian, very controversial. Back in 2010, he was, you know, feeling all kinds of things about, um, you know, the idea. This is specifically for him, where, where like I had mentioned, you know, the isms, uh, sexism. Uh, or homophobia, you know, all the things. All if you if you deny, he he was upset because he'd had it with uh, someone like him denied that he was a racist or a homophobe or a sexist that that proved he that he was those things, right? Because the idea is is that if you don't know that you are, if you don't know that you're a sexist or a racist or a homophobe or transphobe, a transphobe, if you're not aware that you are, if you can't say, yes, I am, then, then you very much are because not being aware of the fact that you are is really the center, the hallmark of continuing to live and act out in those ways. And he had had it um, with that. So he wrote this essay, Kafka Trapping. Um, and for him, it, it's the, the, the form of the argument of a Kafka trap was grounds enough to completely dismiss the charges, regardless of you, uh, of, of if, the, if the accused was guilty or not. If, if the argument is in the shape of a Kafka trap, it should be thrown out entirely. Um, he, he goes on, he takes it uh, further too. It's a, it's a really interesting essay. You should Google it. Eric S. Raymond, Kafka Trapping. He goes on uh, to, to point out in his essay that if you are the subject of a Kafka trap, the uh, the bigger goal is that you will internalize your guilt. You, is particularly if you don't recognize that you're in a Kafka trap, you will then internalize the guilt. Not only, not only, well, because you don't recognize the what's happened that you were in a trap, that you were trapped. You take on, you internalize it, the guilt. You take it on. And then you go about engaging in Kafka trapping others. It's viral in that way. There are several types of Kafka traps that he outlines. Um, he calls one the Model L. 
Um, and this is the one I think that relates to the more general definition that I spoke of. And that's when, whenever a person uses rational skepticism uh, and they apply it to evaluating their the accusation of their guilt or the suggestion that they're a, a part of a group that is somehow guilty, um, if using rational reason can, allows someone to conclude that you are guilty of whatever you're being accused of, then that's definitely a Kafka trap. It's, it's the demonization of skepticism, right? Where you can't, we see this again a lot today. There are a lot of Kafka traps out there in all different shapes and sizes. Um, cancel culture um, is related to the more general idea of a Kafka trap. And so that's Kafka trapping in a nutshell in 35 minutes. Kafka trapping in 35 minutes. Um, so the, the take home is to recognize the form of that argument and to, and if when you can recognize what the, the form that that argument takes, you can address it. You can reject the argument. And I think uh, probably more often than not, um, people laying the Kafka traps have the best of intentions. And Kafka traps often work because most of us want to be good people. We want to be the best we can be, right? We want to be anti-racists. We want to take responsibility for our part in any issues or problems or, or in the world or in any way we're limiting uh, solutions or making the world a better place. Um, but we can't give up sanity in the process. We can't give up personal responsibility, freedoms, uh, rationality. We can't, we can't let those go. We, and we can't, certainly can't restrict freedom of speech. You should be able to question ideas. Um, and questioning ideas is how we learn. If every time someone questions an idea, they they get canceled or they or that is viewed as evidence of their guilt then you know we're in trouble Let's